Frontier Nursing University All Access Podcast. I'm Angela Bailey, Chief Advancement Officer and your host for this adventure. I'd like to welcome you all to the On-Call Lounge here on the Frontier Nursing University campus in beautiful Versailles, Kentucky. Within this inaugural season, we give you an all-access pass to delve deeper into Frontier Nursing University and all of the individuals who are making a daily difference in advanced practice nursing, midwifery, education, and healthcare across the country. Welcome, and today it is my pleasure to have Dr. Diana Jollis, Dr. Jill Allman, and Kate Bauer in the studio. Hi, ladies. Thanks for joining me today. I want to go around and kind of let you guys each introduce yourself and tell us who you are and how you're connected to Frontier. So how about we start with Diana, and this is Diana's second visit to the On-Call Lounge, so welcome back, Diana. Thanks. It's so great to be back here. My name is Diana Jollis. I am a nurse midwife working in Tucson, Arizona, and I have um, been with Frontier as a faculty member since 2011. I've been working in within the birth center model since I attended my very first birth in 1992 as an observer at the Baltimore Birth Center. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and Jill, you, would you like to go next? Sure, sure. It's great to be here, Angie. Um, I am a nurse midwife as well, and um, I, ha I worked in a birth center from 1986 through 2012 in a rural community in uh, East Tennessee. So that has been my... Uh, the bulk of my clinical time as a nurse midwife. I started working at Frontier in 2016. I am also the uh, government affairs person at American Association of Birth Centers. So I've been very involved uh, at American Association of Birth Centers since the probably the early 90s. Fantastic. Thank you, Jill. And Kate, would you like to tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Kate Bauer. I am the Executive Director of the American Association of Birth Centers. And while I've never directly worked for Frontier, I was part of the team uh, that did the pilot program of the CNET program here in Pennsylvania. Uh, AABC was one of the partner organizations. And, um, and I just uh, kind of had a finger on the pulse of midwifery, so to speak, I think my whole life uh, and uh, my whole professional life have been working to support birth centers and birth center midwives. Absolutely. And Kate, you are very accomplished in your own right, but I could not um, go through this podcast without mentioning that you have a family member that is quite important to our frontier community. Yeah. Uh, as my husband would always say, she's the... Uh, She's the rock star of the family. So, um. 
Uh, Kate's mother is Kitty Ernst, whom I'm sure all of our frontier uh, community will know and love. So, you ladies, thank you so much for being here today. You know, it's great to have so many different people at Frontier who are, and involved with Frontier, who are so accomplished, not just in their everyday work, whether that be delivering babies, whether that be helping to develop birth centers, or teaching students, but people who are also very involved in research and advocacy. And I know that the three of you, along with some other folks, recently published some very interesting research. Can you guys tell me a little bit about that? I can start by talking a little bit about the Strong Start Project. So we, American Association of Birth Centers just had the opportunity to write a grant uh, that was funded by CMS the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services federal uh, agency. Um, and the, the, uh, the study was going to look at whether prenatal care uh, with maybe some added enhanced features could impact preterm birth and other poor birth outcomes. So one of the models they wanted to look at was birth centers. So we said, okay, we've got to do this. All the birth centers are really busy doing their thing, caring for people night and day. Mm -hmm. So AABC just decided we would write the grant and convene as many birth centers as we could um, to participate in the project. And so who would like to tell me the, the title of your research that you have published and a little bit about how that process went? Well, this is Diana. We're uh, really proud of a number of articles that have come out of, as a result of this project. Um, one of the most important articles that came out, we're, we're not authors of, we were just part of um, helping to create uh, and ensure that all of our birth centers that were involved with this project entered data. Um, and one of our great prides is the fact that our birth center culture, and this is dates back to Kitty Ernst's vision of the importance of data collection, of course, which actually dates back to uh, what Mary Breckenridge taught us, how important it is to keep your statistics, not just to to collect data, but to analyze it, to have uh, your data informed practice. So our data was part of the national initiative, which actually allowed the researchers at the Urban Institute, who were the evaluators of this National Strong Start project, to um, merge data, to match our data with public data in birth certificates and in Medicaid oh, claims. Wow. And they were able to adjust for socio demographic risk factors and medical risk factors to do a real comparative analysis in what I would say is the most important piece of research that's come out on midwifery ever, but wow. definitely in our lifetime. Um, and they were able to verify the findings that we have found and reported in our own data. Um, we have had several articles published on the data that was produced just by the birth centers themselves. Um, it's really nice, though, to be able to compare to matched claims data and matched birth certificate data to show that the birth centers are leading to significantly improved outcomes. And one of the most exciting things about this was the effect of the birth center was present if people got prenatal care there. 
even if they ultimately needed to or chose to give birth in a hospital setting, the outcomes were far-reaching and affected both mothers and babies um, with many improvements, including decreased cesarean birth rates, decreased preterm birth rates, um, and higher birth weight infants. So there were fewer low birth weight infants. That we know has long-term life effects. Um, so the cost of... Um, the cost savings and the value was proven um, to be uh, very significant. If this model were applied across the country, we would have a much better performing healthcare system at a lower cost. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Now, some of our listeners may not understand how the birth center model is different than midwifery delivered um, in a hospital setting. So, Kate, can you talk to us a little bit about birth centers, why they're different, and how they're different? Sure. I think one of the things that um, when you think about midwifery and birth centers is that the birth center is really the midwife's place, whereas the hospital is really designed to care for the sick and um, for physicians uh, to provide the care. Uh, and the home is, is the mother's uh, place. And so the birth center, it really is a maxi home rather than a mini hospital. We take the best of, of the home. Um, and so everything is available to initiate emergency procedures if needed. Uh, but it's really the midwife's place. So the midwife is setting the, the tone for the practice. Uh, they're in control. They don't have a, you know, an, an organization or uh, telling them what they can and cannot do in their, in their practice as long as they are following the national standards for birth centers. You know, it's up to them how they want to provide the care. Um, and, and it's really... You know, and so midwives are really um, free to practice midwifery as midwifery is intended uh, in the birth center. That's amazing. You know, um, I had my children a long time ago, and there were no birth centers in this area, but I did have a midwife in the hospital, and I can tell you that her attitude towards birth was much different than that of the OB, and I know that some of our listeners may be very familiar with the midwifery model, but would one of you like to give a very short explanation of how the midwifery model is different than a medical model of birth. Um, I, I can I can take a stab at that, and then Diana or uh, Kate can add on if I miss anything. Um, the the midwifery uh, model of care is very much focused on the pregnant person or the person receiving primary care or uh, well care. Uh, because midwives can provide all of that. Um, the midwife, that I think is the, the basis of what is uh, different about the midwifery model. Um, the other thing that I've pointed out to people over the years is that when someone is coming to us for care and um, they're going through a pregnancy, we view them as normal. And 
the processes as physiologic normal processes, but we're always screening and looking in case problems come up. Whereas I believe that in the medical model, it's a more a model of expecting something to come up and sort of anticipating what problem is going to happen, which totally changes the perspective on how you interact uh, with the person um, that you're caring for. I, I also... Uh, I also think that midwifery care, uh, at least for pregnancy, but really for all care, is very much family-centered in the sense that the family is... Love that, yeah. Is what, you, what, the, what the person receiving the care perceives as their family. So yeah. I think those things, um, plus uh, in the midwifery model, especially as we can practice it in the birth center, is much more time-intensive and relationship-based. Those are two key factors that really need more research to fully understand the midwifery model. But we're starting to kind of get a feel for what these things are, but definitely need more research on that. And and I would just add to that, Jill, I think um, you really just, so it's so important the time intensive care in the midwifery model, but also that it's education intensive. Mm. And that the midwife takes the time to answer your questions during your care, um, to really explain what's going on. Um, a, a personal story I have, I had both my kids at the Reading Birth Center here in Pennsylvania and with my daughter went post-dates and I was start, you know, hearing a lot of chatter from people about, oh, well, you should get induced. You know, you're going past dates. And, and so I talked to Susan, my midwife, and she said, well, you know, it, it's your choice, but here's what could happen if you were induced and your body wasn't ready yet and, you know, and, you know, this could be the cascade of events that happens, um, but it's really your decision about what you want to do. So, you know, it's not just when you think of informed consent in the midwifery model, it's not just, oh, here's the paper and here's what can happen. It's really explaining to you the benefits and the risks of your decision. Oh, that's so important. And as I'm hearing you guys talk about these very um, important differences, when you were doing this research, was it those factors that attributed to the improved outcomes of birth at birth centers? I think you've really um, summed it up well, Angie. I think that um, that is the theory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one of one of my favorite pieces of research that came out of the Strong Start that was a result of who I believe Kate's midwife was, this Susan character, a brainchild behind our, <laughs> our current research. She actually mothered a um, client experience of care data registry during the Strong Start project because we're trying to answer the question that you just asked, Angie. So while we believe that these care processes are why we're getting better outcomes, we don't didn't until we ran this pilot study really understand um, scientifically what the experience of care was from a numbers standpoint. Mm. Um, and so this was it's called improving the experience of care results from the American Association of Birth Centers Strong Start client experience of care registry. And what happened was we were able to link what people said and what their experiences were with the clinical data we had. 
And one of the things that makes me so proud about the results that we had from this pilot study are that the people who experienced the care reported having enough time to have their questions answered, they felt listened wow. to, they felt spoken to in a way that they understood, they felt that they were a part of shared decision-making and that they were treated with respect. And the thing that gives me chills about this research is that we didn't find any racial disparities when we oh analyzed the data. Because we know that Black women, for example, are suffering horrible experiences in today's right. healthcare system and have for centuries. Um, but to be able to really drill in on their experiences within the birth center model, that may be the root of the difference of why this is really happening. Our healthcare financing system is not set up to pay people to listen to mm. pregnant families. It's just right. not even, it's not possible. Um, right now we have students that are out in healthcare settings where it's normal for a provider to see 40 people, pregnant people in a day. A day? 40 a in day? In a day. So how many minutes does that come yeah. down to? How it's, do you even have time to answer questions if you have 40 patients a day? And honestly, even 20. Yeah. Even 20. It's mm -hmm. So you're really getting to, if you want to change the healthcare system, you have to do things differently. And that's what the Strong Start study was able to show is a different way. That is incredibly powerful. You know, we talked about in an earlier podcast during this season that the disparities for women of color, that particularly black women, are six, five to six more times likely to die in childbirth than a white woman is. And for you guys to be telling me that at birth centers, that disparity goes away, Diana, that gave me chills. That's huge. I should clarify, this was in, there were no disparities in their experience of care. I should be very cautious and clear to say, we do see clinical disparities in our outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, they are narrower, much narrower than we're seeing nationwide. Um, but we are seeing disparities in our outcomes. So we're even digging into that. And the Strong Start study and our data were able to, one of the publications that came from ABC was a look at what is called elective hospitalization. So one of the problems with birth research is you can't randomize. Mm. So the best types of research are those types where you can just randomize people into categories and do scientific experiments. And obviously that's unethical in birth, mm -hmm. right? Right. So right. you have, you know, people are self-selecting. A unique group of people choose to give birth in the community and not go to hospitals for childbirth. But what we're able to do in our data is isolate the people who are healthy and medically low risk and look at what happens to them when they choose to go to the hospital if they don't have any medical risk factors. And what we're able to see is harm. So we're able to see up to five times the cesarean birth rate in healthy, low-risk people. Interestingly, women and, and childbearing people who have given birth before have a higher risk of having bad effects from hospital systems. And so wow. there is an intersection in, between race, ethnicity, 
poverty, um, payer status, and this effect, what's known as the hospital effect, the mm. effect of culture and medicalization on healthy, normal people. So we're continuing to, to look at that. Wow. Thank you, Diana. And thank you for, for helping this non-researcher understand a little bit better the importance of this information and interpret it. You know, it's times like this that I wish that our podcast had a call-in feature because I'm sure <laughs> that other midwives and researchers would have great questions that are probably just over my head. But this is fantastic. And I'm so very impressed that the three of you, and I know that you had some help in this, but wow, it's wonderful. So what is the next step? What are you, you alluded to future research. So what's the next step for you all with this project? We have a lot of projects going on in many different areas of this, but many of them do. And Diana can, can, speak to some of the, since she's the chair of the research committee at AABC, uh, she's very busy and doing all sorts of things. But I just, uh, I just wanted to say that one area that I am really interested in doing more research in is that we saw with the Strong Start project that disparities like preterm birth, low birth weight, um, even uh, C-section rates, but also increasing breastfeeding rates, uh, mm. those things, the disparities in those things were very much uh, decreased. Uh, you know, the, they were narrowed, uh, as mm. Diana said. So one thing that I'm really interested in doing is um, to keep working on reducing these disparities and trying to hone in on what birth centers and the midwifery model can do uh, to do that. And, and part of that's diversifying the midwifery workforce, but also diversifying birth center ownership and leadership so that we have more midwives of color leading birth centers and providing that culturally congruent care that is so needed. So that's just my, my personal area of interest right now. Fantastic. And I think another big um, movement that's been born from this is all of the policy, and Jill can speak to all of the tremendous amount of legislation that's currently happening. It's a little bit embarrassing for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to continue policies that harm people, mm -hmm. that waste money. So you right. have this interface with the taxpayers, uh, you know, now, as if the poor outcomes aren't bad enough, the cost of the poor outcomes should also be getting society outraged. And so mm -hmm. I think that there are many forces coming together right now from all places in our society um, to hold accountability uh, mm -hmm. for the, the birth processes that are largely paid by taxpayers in our wow. country. So you both have mentioned that you're on committees at the AABC, and so now I have to um, put my own plug in that I have currently accepted a position on the foundation board at the American Association yeah. of Birth Centers, and I am so pleased and proud to be able to work with this organization, and I, I can't um, walk away from this podcast without giving Kate some time to really talk about the AABC and how people who are listening to this can support this work and why it's so important for them to support it. 
Yeah, thanks, Angie. I, yes. um, I think I'll just start by talking about ways that people can support this work. And I think one way is to become a member of ABC if you're not already. Our membership is open not only to birth centers and uh, providers and administrators in birth centers and people who want to start birth centers, but also people who uh, support the birth center concept and want okay. to see more birth centers. So we have lots of individual members and organizational members uh, that want to do just that. Uh, and, and individuals can be anyone from students to practicing midwives to um, consumers to other professionals. Uh, it's really, uh, we're really a multi-disciplinary uh, organization. Right. And that's something we're very proud of. Well, I know that besides this research and the advocacy that you guys do, all of our students at Frontier take a course with you all, how to start a birth center, right? Right. And, you know, that goes back to uh, when the CNET program was formed. One of the primary reasons was that we knew in order to grow birth centers, we had to have midwives who wanted to work in birth centers, who understood birth centers. And so that's one of the reasons that uh, ABC and Frontier have such a close relationship is because uh, that's a mutual goal of ours is to increase the number of birth center midwives. Absolutely. Um, so, and I, and I would also just put out a plug. Uh, we are a volunteer organization with our members for all of our committees. And so if something like research or advocacy uh, interests you, um, please, uh, we're actually having our kind of time of year for people to join our committees for the next year. So I encourage you to visit our website, birthcenters.org, to learn more about how you can become involved in AABC on, uh, on our different committees. Absolutely. It is definitely a worthwhile uh, venture. It's something that I know that I'm proud to be a part of. And I can tell in your voices that the three of you are absolutely proud to be a part of this work. Is there anything else you ladies would like to share before we say goodbye to our listeners today? I just want to say thank you for this opportunity, Angie. Uh, I, of course, I'm, uh, as you said, obviously passionate and yes. I really, I really believe that uh, midwifery model care, uh, as it's, you know, as it's provided in the birth center setting, is very important to turning things around as as far as our healthcare in the U.S. So thank you for inviting me and us today. It has been my pleasure, ladies, and together I think that we will, with our friends, brothers, and sisters at the AABC and throughout the Frontier community, will make a difference and are making a difference, and thank you for your time. As uh, Kate said, you can always go to the American Association of Birth Centers website, but if you would like more information, you can also reach out to me. So as always, thank you again for joining the Frontier Nursing University All Access Podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed our conversation. If you would like to learn more about Frontier and how you can make a difference for mothers, babies, and families across the country, please visit our website at frontier.edu. Or you can reach out to me, your all-access host, at angela.bailey at frontier.edu.
If you have enjoyed this podcast, and we certainly hope that you have, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time, thank you for listening.